the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. If you were listening last week to Heart of the City, we had a special guest. Her name is Lily Neenhouse, and uh, I asked her to stay around for part two because she didn't finish her story. And it's a, it's a, a powerful story of, of, a, of a young girl that has gone through a horrible addiction and is coming out the other side. And uh, Lily, thank you for joining me for part two of Heart of the City. Yeah, thank you. Well, just to summarize a little bit, because if folks want to hear the the whole story, they can go back and listen on the podcast uh, on the Heart of the City. Uh, just go to the wordseattle.com and click on local programs, and you'll see Heart of the City, and you'll see Lily's name there. But uh, but you grew up in a Christian home in the Northwest here, uh, first in Oak Harbor and then in Linden, Washington. Uh, Christian parents, homeschooled, and then... Uh, on a transition from uh, Oak Harbor up to Linden, uh, just kind of an awkwardness of of a young person, uh, new surroundings, no longer homeschooled, but in a in a in a public school as as a junior higher, and and all of the uh, all of the things that go along with that. And so there's the, you you develop friendships with people who obviously weren't very good for you long term. Yeah, and uh, out of that uh, came the opportunity to start drinking and experimenting with drugs, and then starting to experiment with heroin. Talk about that for a little bit as we move on in your story. Yeah, um, you know, I think starting out with alcohol and marijuana was was one thing, and um, I didn't really realize that it would progress to what it did, but. Um, you know, it just soon became not enough. And I was always searching for that next high, whatever was going to get me, um, whatever was going to get me even more high. And, you know, this didn't work. So I'd go to the next thing and that didn't work. So I would go to the next thing. And that's, that's what led to a full blown heroin addiction. Well, you know, in the state of Washington, as with many other states, the discussion is legalized marijuana. And I know we don't want to go down that road, but having had Loved ones that have gone down that road, I see marijuana as a huge gateway drug into other drugs, and I'll never, ever, ever agree with legalized marijuana and, and marijuana use because of that, because it's not just that. It it leads to other drugs. But, again, that's another program. But uh, So into heroin, and uh, by this time, what? how old are you? Um, I, was, I was about 15, 16. 
And because of the heroin use, obviously that costs money and you have to acquire it somehow. So because of that, you were uh, getting access to heroin because of the friends you were keeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I eventually, uh, it all started with the, the first guy I ever got heroin from. And mm-hmm. um, um, I was drugged and raped by him. And that led to me being passed around between his friends and their friends. And that is how I maintained my drug supply was, um, through sex basically. Yeah. And in that there's got to be something that happens within your heart and your soul. And and you, you spoke about it in, in part one of your story of, of just a kind of a launch into a, a deep, dark place. When, when, when that happens, when you, when you're giving your basically your emotions, your body, your your soul, if you will, to to drugs and to to those kinds of relationships, it, it's got to be a deadening of your spirit in many ways, doesn't it? Talk yes, about that. Yes. Talk about um, you know when that when that happens to you. Yeah, I I really it was a vicious cycle because I um, I was doing that because I needed drugs and. I would get the drugs, the drugs would numb me, and then I would need more drugs, so I, it would, I would do that again, and it, it was just a vicious cycle. It just kept going and going, and I really learned to tune out um, everything around me, and I learned to kind of internally shut off my, my brain so I wouldn't, I tried not to let the things that were happening to me affect me, and um I really dissociated a lot and just kind of tried to remove myself from it as mm-hmm. much as I could. Mm-hmm. Which deadens your, your, you can't just turn that on and off in the sense of your life. I mean, when you deaden yourself to those things that are incredibly painful, you're deadening yourself to other relationships as well, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Even, with a, even with a relationship with yourself, if you can, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can say that, you, 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 uh, you disassociate so much, you deaden your feelings because of the pain that you really can't be happy within yourself or enjoy, enjoy yourself, if you will. It's it's a, it's a it's fascinating how that works, but so you so you eventually you ask your parents for help and you went through rehab. Talk about that. Yeah, um, that was really the beginning of a turning point. It it didn't stick the first time I went, but mm-hmm. I did come to them for help, and you know because I had realized, hey, I actually can't function without using drugs. So I think I think that's a problem. I think I need some help, and I don't really know what to do. And they helped guide me. Um, they provided a lot of resources, counseling, um, a drug and alcohol assessment, treatment. Uh, they did absolutely everything that they could. And I I always appreciate them so, so much because they, I really did put them through a lot of hell. I really mm-hmm. did. Yeah, yeah. So you came out of that, then eventually went back a second time into drugs and alcohol. You relapsed. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then went back into rehab again. I uh, did, yeah. Yeah. How, how? What was the space between those two rehab uh, times? Um, probably three or four months. Mm. It was a short period of time. Yeah. Um, and that just goes to show how quickly drugs can take over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like a, a split second decision, and I 
was right back to where I was. Mm. Yeah, oftentimes addicts don't realize that that to to get back in after there's a relapse, it's it's a short period of time into where you're just where you were, you know, the previous time. You know, it's not like it takes several weeks or several months to get back into that point. Sometimes it's just a couple of days and you're right back to the level of of addiction that you were previously and it's that's a vicious vicious cycle. So out of that, then, you had, in your story last week, you were talking about the fact that you got to the point where you became suicidal. Yes. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit with us. Yeah, um, I think because of everything I had gone through, um, I, I had a lot of pain. I had a lot of trauma that I did not deal with. Um, and there were a lot of things that haunted me every day. And I had also gone back to school, so there was a lot of bullying, a lot of rumors, because everyone thought, hey, look, she's back. You know, she's been gone for a year. What happened? Um, So it was rough, and I got to the point where I really didn't see any point in in living anymore. So I, I, I overdosed, and it was actually at school. I was at school when it happened, and so the school called an ambulance, and I was taken to the hospital. Um, and what's funny about that is that still to this day, the, I, I wonder how I lived through that because the nurses and the doctors told me that the level of drugs that was in my blood was enough to kill multiple people. And they told me I was going to have to stay in the hospital a while to, to detox from those drugs, but they actually, the very next day, they... Um, they were taking my blood every couple hours throughout the night to monitor the level and make sure it was going down. And um, the very next morning, my blood was clean. There was no trace of drugs left. And and they said that I could go home. And even the doctor himself said, I don't, I don't understand how this happened. I don't mm-hmm. understand how you're sitting here right now and how there's no drugs in your system because you should have died yesterday. Hmm. And that had to have been a shocking for you to recognize that it could have gone the other way. Oh, yeah. It could be yeah. your your parents are mourning your death over an overdose. And and again, was it heroin that, that you were using? Uh, no. At that point, it was it was a lot of pills. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have access to heroin that, that second time I had gotten out. I was trying to stay clean, um, but I had just taken as many pills as I could. Yeah, yeah. So then suicide. So you're dealing with rape, you're dealing with addiction, you're dealing with uh, with suicide. And so what's going on in your head then after you, after you get out of the hospital and the doctor said you're fortunate <laughs> to be alive? So now what are you thinking? Um, I, I was actually angry at first. Um, you know, I thought this is not what was supposed to happen. I'm, I'm supposed to be dead right now. And that's what I wanted. And so I was mad at first. um, But my heart started to soften a little bit. Um, I got back into outpatient treatment. So three times a week, I went to group counseling, individual counseling. And um, I was actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of brought a lot of answers. And we were able to figure out a path of... um, treatment and and medication and and starting to help me heal from that um but what really did it is when my one of my friends invited me to her her church to her youth group and um i was 
I think 17 at the time. And I thought, you know, ah, I really don't do that anymore. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of bad experiences with churches, with people telling me I'm going to go to hell for what I've done and God doesn't love me, you know? Um, and she, and she told me, she said, do you think, do you think you're here by accident? You know, there's a reason that you didn't die a couple days ago. There's, there's a reason that, that you're still alive. And she said, God's still got you. God's still holding on and he wants you. You know, I'm sitting there like, <laughs> okay, that's funny. But, <laughs> right. um, you know, I did, I, I went back to, I went to church with her and I said, okay, you know what? You've bugged me so much. I'll go this one time, but I'm never coming back ever again. <laughs> got it. <laughs> well, that didn't work out. So, <laughs> um, but I remember the first time I walked into that church, uh, the atmosphere was so different and there were people welcomed me with open arms. Um, you know, I was, I was just torn apart from the drugs I had been using. I had scars all over my body from self-harm and nobody looked at me any different. And they said, you're, you're welcome here and God loves you and the Holy spirit is working in you and you're going to come out of this. And I, that was the first time I felt so much love and I was genuinely confused. I said, okay, so you're telling me that God still loves me after everything I've done, after everything I've gone through, you know, I've been, I felt like I had been tainted, that I was just damaged and I couldn't believe that God still wanted a relationship with me at that point. And I, I really, it, it took quite a few months, but, um, I eventually gave my life back to the Lord my senior year of high school. And it was a very drastic change. Um, you know, it was incredible. I, I was starting to feel this joy again that I hadn't felt in so, so long. And it was absolutely amazing. And I started to, I mean, people at school still bullied a little bit, still made fun of me. But at that point I thought, you know, honestly, their opinion doesn't, doesn't matter because I've got God and God's opinion is what matters. And I know my identity in him and I know that's who I am. And so what these people say, I, I can't let it affect me. Um, and I, I did really, really good for a while. Um, it was, it was incredible. It's incredible that the work God can do in anybody. How's mom and dad doing at this time? And your brother, you talked about your brother last time and how much your brother expressed his love towards you, your younger brother. What are they thinking? Um, I mean, they were they were so happy. You know, they mm -hmm. were so happy to finally see me having a purpose and, you know, really living my life. Uh, I, I began to really repair the relationship with my little brother and, um, you know, shared a lot of stuff with him and, and found that he had a lot of the same uh, struggles mentally. Um, with depression, anxiety, PTSD. And so we were able to really connect that way um, and and share God's hope in that sense. And it was, it was really awesome. Um, well, you're listening to Heart of the City, and our guest today is Lily Neenhouse. And uh, Lil Lily's uh, 24 years old, married, has a young daughter, uh, Adeline. And uh, Lily, what happens next? You graduate from high school, then what happens? Um, so I, I worked with my dad for a short time at Faith Life. I did. I was just an intern there. Um, I actually was saving up so I could go to Denver, and I joined um, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. So I did a discipleship training school with him, um, with them, and it was 
that was probably one of the happiest times of my life when I when I think back. Um, I learned so much. I, I gained so much knowledge of the Bible, of of Christ's promises, and um, I was able to do missions in Guatemala and Costa Rica. Um, and especially in Costa Rica, we worked a little bit with um, the drug addicted community, um, with sex trafficked um, adolescents, and that was really that was really cool for me to do because I felt that I could use my experiences to help those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so things were awesome. Um, things were really good for a while, and I eventually I did another school with YWAM. I did um, uh, an introductory leadership school, uh, which just helped solidify my knowledge in missions and how I could use my strengths for the Lord's good and um, use that to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so once I moved back to Washington from Colorado, I had a few different odd jobs um, and I was kind of figuring out, okay, you know, what do I do now with my life? Um, and I, I did good for a while, uh, but I, I regularly went to Narcotics Anonymous meetings and Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and those, those were another thing that really helped me maintain my sobriety. Um, and so I, I met somebody in this meeting one night, and <laughs> I, um, you know, and he, he came up and talked to me and uh, that was, it was actually, that was, that's my husband now. <laughs> so, right. um, we had met each other there and, uh, he was in recovery and he has quite a story as well. Um, and so we came together and, and things were really good. He, you know, we got engaged and we, um, you know, we were really enjoying life together. Um, and then he eventually relapsed. And so he, you know, started using drugs again. And then, um, you know, things got really difficult. Uh, and I hadn't relapsed yet, but um, we were living in a travel trailer together on a piece of property. And um, that's when I we really started using drugs again. Um, started out just with the small stuff and you know, just drinking and smoking every once in a while. And I kind of denied it. I'm like, okay, but I'm good. And, and, you know, I think that's uh, one of the biggest things that Satan has used against me in my life is complacency. Hmm. Um, I get to a point where I think, okay, yeah, I'm doing so good. So I don't need to do this, this, and this anymore because I'm better. And, um, you know, Satan has used that to those lies to, to twist my mind into thinking that I'm okay to do things that I really shouldn't do. And so that was really difficult. Um, we, he was in and out of jail. Um, and I had actually gotten pregnant. Um, and so we got married and, um, I, he had gotten, um, arrested shortly after that, a couple months after that. And, um, that was when I actually, I lost, uh, we lost our baby. And so I had a miscarriage and, we at that point we had pretty much lost everything we were we were living in our car um sleeping in the car using drugs and i remember sitting in the parking lot of my work um one of the times he was in jail the the very last time he was in and i was sitting there by myself and i had a gun to my head and so i i was having you know i had another experience with suicide because 
at that point, I, I had hit a new rock bottom. Mm. It was different when I was a teenager um, because I had always had a place to live. But being an adult was very different because I, I had nowhere to go. And I wasn't going to come back to my parents' house and burden them because I was using. And I, I knew that they were not okay with that. And so I stayed in the car. And um, it just so happens that... God works in mysterious ways. And I was sitting there and in the parking lot of my work and one of my coworkers who I had thought left, I thought I was the last one there, but he came up to me, opened the car door randomly. And, and he said, Hey, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. Cause I saw your car sitting out here and I know you usually leave earlier. And, um, you know, that was something I thought, okay, that's, that's a sign, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, God's speaking to me in some way. And, so it took it took months it took months to really heal from all of that and um you know my husband got out of jail we came back together and we really started um seeking the lord together because you know we thought hey everything we've been doing isn't working mm-hmm. um yeah it was crazy a lot of a lot of crazy hard things happened in those in those couple of years well lily we've got about 4 minutes left and uh you know, the, the thing that I uh, know, and as we, we talked about earlier, is that the Lord knows every chapter of our lives. And he, he knows the, 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 uh, the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, uh, not only in, in the universe, but in our lives. And, and so he, he has been with you the entire time. That's what's so amazing about our God, and that he is continually trying to draw himself to you and and uh draw himself to you and you to him. And so he's he's done that. And so in this last experience that you had um and as your husband and you started um praying together and seeking his face, what what happened? Um really really a transformation, you know. Um my my husband got baptized and we were my parents very graciously welcomed us back into their home. Um, and here we were with a couple days sober and just ready to do life together again. And it took a long time to build our lives back up, but, um, you know, we've had a lot of ups and downs since then. I had a small relapse, um, but I came back from that. And what really has kept us clean this time was finding out that when we were pregnant, um, and we had kind of tried for a while thought that I, I couldn't have babies. And, um, once we quit trying, then all of a sudden we found out, Hey, we're pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, our daughter is, is, I mean, first and foremost, most importantly, the Lord is our rock, but our daughter is our motivation every day. And Mm -hmm. I, I have almost two and a half years clean. Um, my husband also has two and a half years clean. Um, so we, you know, we've been sober for, this is the longest stretch that we, we've both had, um, in recent years and, and we do it every day for, for the Lord, for each other and for our daughter, because we know that we never want our daughter to have to witness us using drugs. And, um, you know, she really is a blessing from the Lord. Her, um, her birth was, was quite the story. And, um, she was actually born without a heartbeat and not breathing and, um, God brought her back from that and she is just thriving and we love her so much. And 
and we're constantly seeking the Lord and it's, it's, life is good now. You know, it's, it's a struggle. It's rough, but it's, it's so good. Well, Lily, we've got about one minute left. And uh, as people are listening to your story, what would you say is the, the key, the key point of, of what you would like to communicate with families who may be going through similar situations? Um, I think one of the biggest things is that you, you can't, handle someone's sobriety for them first and foremost they need to want it and they need to work at it themselves and also um no matter how hard you try you're not going to get away from god you're Mm. just not if he's got a plan for you and he's he's going to hold on to you and he's going to tug at you until you come back to him (laughs) well that's the goodness of our god isn't it and uh if you want to uh, to reach out to Lillian and uh, hear more of her story or to communicate with her or have her share with you personally, you can email her at lily, L-I-L-L-Y dot N-I-E-N-H-U-I-S at gmail.com. And uh, Lily, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. God bless you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word call Chuck Olmstead 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com.